A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, and you're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, Mike Devon here. Thanks very much for all the good wishes while I was off getting married there for the last week or so. Oh, congratulations. Alan. Thanks, guys. And thanks very much for manning the fort while I was gone. Oh, yeah. Well, you did, did a superb job there. I had a quick listen to Monday's show and one of Monday's shows this morning. And I can confirm, guys, that Murph is correct. I am indeed one of the 20% of Irish people who suffer from hay fever. Uh, oh, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, largely you mentioned the runny nose, Murph. That is an mm. issue. Obviously, sneezing heavily is is an issue. Okay. Uh, my main, my, the main symptom that I seem to exhibit is or are incredibly dry skin around the eyes. Just the eyes uh, in general. My eyes get so dry. They do get very dry. <laughs> I rub. It's like you want to claw them out of there. You know, it's it's, it's pretty bad stuff until you get nailed in antihistamine into you. Boom. Oh yeah, that's, what's that stuff you uh, you're always sniffling up? Um, Claritin. What, what is Claritin? You love that stuff. Yeah, but then I found out recently that Lorat is a lot cheaper. Like Claritin is like a brand. Oh, so yeah. it's Claritin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas you can just pay a bit less and get Lorat. No, yeah. no offense, to any of the Claritin uh, oh, owners out there who You've are just screwed over the entire Claritin lobby. <laughs> yeah, there goes my endorsement deal with Claritin that I could have got out of this podcast. But uh, I, I, it didn't actually affect me weirdly on the hottest day of the year on Tuesday. That's good. During my honeymoon in Donegal, I spent that particular day driving around the southwest region of that beautiful county visiting the cliffs at Schlieve League Murph. Ah, that's nice. three times higher than the cliffs of Mower the locals were keen to tell me yeah. again and again what uh, yeah, yeah, yeah H- highest cliffs in Europe Kenny yeah they're always banging on about that yeah. they've got a real there's, chip there's, on their shoulder there about are that. cliffs in Ireland three times yeah. taller than the cliffs of Mower yeah, yeah but they they're ain't so amazing. pretty do, can you even do, do, see do, the do, do from people the top? don't like to boast so much about their wares you know that's incredible that's I, I don't believe it well you just get up there what are these what are these things called Schlieve League. Schlieve League. You have a look there. Uh, so I spent that day. So I hit the beach, you know, a lot of great beaches there in Donegal. Rossnaula, where Simon goes surfing. There wasn't a huge amount of surfing going on on the day, uh, given the conditions. But anyway, not a runny nose or an itchy eye to be felt. I was, however, taken down by something a little more serious. Oh, no. What? Heat stroke. You got heat stroke yeah. on Monday. Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. Well, Tuesday was. Yeah, I spent the last night of my trip. Sorry, my, <laughs> Sorry on. Yeah. He, no, well, yeah, well, yeah, give, sorry. Let, him, let the man tell the story <laughs> sorry, there. Go on, go on. God, Ken. Sorry, go on, go on, sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Well, I spent the last night of my honeymoon <laughs> vomiting. Ken, I'm sorry. Sorry, sorry go on. Feeling sorry. nauseous. Right. And That's uh, terrible. as my wife Rebecca described it, moaning a lot in your sleep. <laughs> oh, no. And this was after... This I don't know moaning as in... I don't know what kind of moaning was, you know, moaning specifically at her. I don't know what are was too gonna... dry. <laughs> yeah. so, so this, this pillow isn't fluffy enough. It, so, yeah. so this, you actually had heat stroke. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that was it. Uh, we were looking at the symptoms as we went and I had temperature. I had... Um, I wasn't not? sweating. Uh, apparently not sweating. I was like, Where's why am I sweating this out of me? Apparently not yeah. sweating is a sign of heat stroke. Nauseous, vomiting. It was very hot. That was the main reason I was yeah, feeling like yeah. a, well, I mean, it. Was, it was like 27 degrees. It was 30 degrees in Donegalkin. 30 degrees? Yeah. The hotel, I got back to the hotel after a long day's driving and being on the beach and all this. I'll, I'll cool down here. It's like, it's a very nice hotel. There's a lot of, gla- a lot of glass. There's a lot yeah. of, you know, so that you can see it's, a, it's around Loch Esk. Yeah. A beautiful, a beautiful lake there in Donegal. So it's all great when it's 22 degrees. 
But yeah. when it hits 29, 30 degrees, it's just like an oven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, no, I... What I mean, Did you not a tie a hanky around your head? <laughs> I didn't. Oh, the the, the uh, age Irish tradition, no? Yeah, no hay fever, though, so that was the main I'm thing. I'm looking at these sleeve league, sleeve league cliffs, and I know why the cliffs are more and more famous. It's because mm-hmm. they look nicer. Yeah. They are more uh, vertical. Yeah. And uh, the problem is these, these sleeve league ones are slightly at a... Slightly kind of... At an angle going a, into the water. A jaunty sort of angle. It's if not you, all about size, you know? No, it's, it's, it's not all about size. It's about aesthetics. Yeah. And uh, Would you say that waterfall, waterfalls would fall into the same category, Ken? You know, it, it, like the highest waterfall in the world. I mean, that's not a big deal for me. I don't know which is the highest waterfall in I the world. I think it's Angel, isn't it? But I mean, the most Angel beautiful waterfall. waterfall in the world is Paris Court. Of course. <sighs> that's, you're absolutely right. Not the highest, not the biggest, and yet the most beautiful. Yeah, the most beautiful. Oh, sorry, I thought you were going to continue talking about the comparison. Uh, no, but they are, they are, in fact, uh, yeah. six, at 601 metres, almost three times as yep. tall as the cliffs of Morrow. What a pity they're just uh, sloping like that. They aren't really cliffs, they're more of a kind of a steep slope. They're ugly as dog shit, <laughs> and is what we're saying about the Sleeve League cliffs. I'd like to distance myself from Murph's comment there, having <laughs> just enjoyed the hospitality of the people of Donegal. I'm sorry, Donegal. Ken, Mark Horgan has got his wish. Which is? Big Sam Fring, the manager... Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, well, it hasn't been officially announced yet, but it is pretty clear that it is going to be big time. Greg Dyke uh, came out of an interview, or not of an interview, he was in there. He's, he's obviously departing from his job, uh, Greg Dyke. He was like, well, you know, I don't want to give anything away, really. I mean, you should ask the people who were in there, the three who were on the panel, but uh, they all do seem to think Sam Allardyce is the best man for the job. So, <laughs> God, so, he really doesn't care. It would be a bit of a surprise at this stage if Sam Allardyce was not to be the England manager. And uh, I think it's a, it's the best choice England uh, could have made. I mean, there's all these sort of profiles of Sam Allardyce going, all beginning with this sort of amused, Dude, can you believe that the new manager of England once managed Limerick? <sighs> like as though, like this outrageous origin story for Big Sam, like he'd been raised in the jungle by wolves. <laughs> you know, like this is, you know, can you believe that a guy who, who once did that now has, a, you know, um, which is a little bit patronising, but, you know, uh, he's been showing his aptitude ever since those days on Shannon's side. Mm-hmm. And he's never managed a team with this much attention on it. Um, and that will be the the new aspect of the job. But this is what he's been looking for. This is what he's been ranting and raving about, is not getting a profit that has gone unrecognized for a long time. Um, but it's still unrecognized. He's still never going to get that big club job in England that he so aspired to. So ah, he takes for, the next best thing, which well, is the national. Well, if he wins the World team. Cup in two years' time, on for England for English managers, the England job is as big as any club job. I mean, b- bigger in terms of profile, I would say. Do you, do you not think? For, yeah, for an but it, 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 it does. It doesn't change the way English managers are viewed, and that's always been his issue. That. Nobody gives us a run a go in this country because I think you know unless my name's Sam Allardyce, I'm not going to yeah. impress the top clubs, and that's still the same. I mean, he gets the England job because he's English, and they apparently, in fact, quite early on, it looked as though they wanted to stick with a, with an English manager if at all possible, mm. which is what they've done. Here, I'm not. I'm not. This but is I, a great th- job for Sam Allardyce, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think I think the fact is that. You know who? Who else are they? Are they going to get here? You know, the, I think I don't think an ambitious foreign coach is going to take that job. You know, it's, it's, for them, it'd be the equivalent of going to Qatar or something. You get lots of money, but the, the job is, is meaningless. Mm. You know, it's, it's like um, you're not going to get uh, one of the, you know, I always end up mentioning Thomas Tuckle. <laughs> Thomas Tuckle is not going to take the England job. He's like a serious, ambitious guy. I mean, he's just a, he, he's just a person I'm mentioning, you know, to denote all of those kind of ambitious, mm. young, tactically uh, advanced coaches that you find around Europe, you know, um, Unai Emery, whatever, the Sevilla manager, you know, a a tactical mastermind, not going to take the English job, would in any case be unsuitable for it. You know, you've you've got to have someone who can speak to the players, that's that's pretty obvious, you need someone with a good level of English. But then you, 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 I think the fact that Sam Allardyce is associated with teams that don't necessarily play very complicated football is probably a good thing. Yeah, it's fine. It's a good thing. I mean, it... It, it's simple. It's simple enough for the players to grasp in the kind of limited time that they have to spend together. He's also a manager who I think goes with his. He he will back his own 
I mean, I say, I say he'll back his own judgment. I mean, his judgment is going to be under scrutiny as never before. And people will be saying, oh, Sam should do this, Sam should do that. And he's never really had to deal with that before. You know, every, every newspaper, every TV channel, uh, every radio station, all talking about him and what he should do. That's not, not a situation Sam Allardyce has had to deal with before. Well, he's been at Newcastle. He's been at Newcastle, but that's just one. You know, I mean, for, for every... And he, he was unpopular at Newcastle. He was unpopular at West Ham. I would say being unpopular at Newcastle is... <laughs> probably as bad as it gets in club football in England yeah, so it's, it's, it probably it's steals him a little bit but, but, uh, but, but you know you would have people in Newcastle uh, going mad about what a mess Sam Allardyce was making of it but then you know he could he could pick up like uh, a national newspaper and people would be like can you believe the abuse Sam Allardyce is getting from those idiots at Newcastle you know, you know what I mean. Roy Hodgson had the same sort of thing at Liverpool, where people were like, "Oh, poor Roy," you know, he's being he, he's being uh, attacked by this hate mob. You know, those mm. people are unreasonable up there. You know what I mean? So there was always some people who who were at least would would take a side. Maybe maybe it will be the case now. But the point the point that I was trying to make is that a simple kind of style of football is, is suited to international football, which is much less sophisticated than um, than the club game, the top uh, level of the club game. Um, the fact that Sam Allardyce has been reasonably consistent uh, wherever he's gone with the type of game he's tried to play, I think is also good. Because look at the predecessor, Hodgson. What what happened to Hodgson was that he, I mean, he he, had, he did have a system that was working quite well throughout his qualifiers, which of which they won ten out of ten. Then he changed it all. You know, like in the tournament, he's like, well, let's just change all this and bring in, you know, all these players who didn't play. And, you know, because they, they, oh, they looks pretty good, isn't he? I mean, wonderful players. Let's get them. Let's get Eric Dyer in. You know, decent players. But he was changing everything on the eve of the tournament. You know, it was, it was kind of like, well, what exactly are we supposed to be doing? You're kind of supposed to have an idea of what that's supposed to be before you start the tournament. I think with, with Allies, they probably will have that. Yeah. It might necessarily be the kind of football that's going to change the game I don't think it will be but it might be the kind of football that the players on the field can understand and execute as opposed to you know Deli Ali coming over to the bench and saying what exactly am I supposed to be doing here boss in the European Championship in an actual European Championship did that game. happen how yes. did I miss that well, amidst everything De- Deli Ali uh, was reported to have come over to the bench and asked for instructions about what he should be doing and there's a couple of ways to look at that one is like Deli Ali get out there and play the game mm. you're supposed to be the you know, the, the greatest young talents in English football, go out there and play football. But I think when a player is, is doing that, uh, he, it's, he's showing that he's not quite sure. I mean, he, maybe Dele Alli reacted the wrong way. He should, he should say, well, I'm not quite sure, but this is what I'm going to do. Be a bit more decisive. Take some initiative. That's really what, what you should be doing. But the fact that he actually comes over and asks, betrays the fact that he's not sure what it is he's supposed to be doing. And that does, that does go back to the manager. I think that, you know, in a... In a Sam Allardyce English team, uh, they will at least know what they're supposed to be doing. Whether it works out, I mean, it never does. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it probably won't work out, which doesn't make it the wrong appointment. Jose Mourinho has been the first man to offer his support to his friend Sam Allardyce, and he says he's promised his support not only personally, but also as the Manchester United manager to, to be at Big Sam's side, to stand shoulder to shoulder with him, to make sure that the English players are always well. Of course, there aren't that many English players, <laughs> as far as I can see, necessarily who are going to be part of Manchester United's future. Manchester United are, are uh, on a massive star-buying splurge, and they seem to have signed uh, Paul Pogba, or at least the Keep are reporting it as a done deal. The English media haven't, aren't reporting it yet as a done deal, but in Italy and Spain, some newspapers are saying, this deal is already done. So, a world record fee for Paul Pogba um, and a pretty amazing series of signings of big players from Manchester United. All of them, not quite all, three of them, Mino Raiola. Manchester United have just signed the three biggest players on the books of Mino Raiola. Now, this is interesting for a couple of different reasons. Number one, uh, what does George Mendes think of all this? George Mendes, who'd been having such a great summer. Portugal won the European Championships. He's rubbing his hands together. This is so good. This is so amazing. After the Iceland game, Portugal nil all Iceland. He's probably thinking, this is going to be tough. This is going to be a tough summer. But now he's thinking, this is great. You know, we were the European champions, Portugal. But now Jose Mourinho is signing players from Mina Raiola, all the, all the Mina Raiola players, all his top players. I, I don't know what he feels about it. I'm sure he respects these guys, respects them as good players, but... Does he really just have to buy Mino Raiola players? Anyway, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect, and, and I'm so delighted, Owen, that this gives me a chance to pick up this thing that we have in our office 
which usually is just a mic stand. Mm-hmm. It's in our studio here in the Irish Times, and it works as a mic stand because it is a thick, it's a chunky uh, book there. Perhaps you'd like to tell the listeners what it is there? Uh, Those who haven't guessed Alex it Ferguson with Michael Moritz, and the book is called Leading. Ken, and it's a book that we return to so often. Yeah. There is Alex Ferguson on the cover looking a bit like Brezhnev inspecting the troops on, on May Day, staring out from... Now, I just want to turn to page 279 here. And uh, Alex Ferguson is talking about... It, it's a chapter called Brokers, which is actually about agents. I but thought, yeah, I guess that might be the case. Brokers is a more businessy yeah. term. Yeah. Bi- more businessy. This is a business because book. Because it's, it's not a football book. No, football book, book. we call agents. Yeah. Yeah. It's a business book. Many agents have no qualifications beyond the ability to ingratiate themselves with the player and his family, says Alex Ferguson. Um, there are one or two football agents I simply do not like. And Mina Raiola, Paul Pogba's agent, is one of them. Right. I distrusted him from the moment I met him. He became Zlatan Ibrahimovic's agent when he was playing for Ajax, and eventually he wound up representing Pogba, who was only 18 years old at the time. We had Paul under a three-year contract, and he had had a one-year renewal option, which we were eager to sign. Raiola suddenly appeared on the scene, and our first meeting was a fiasco. He and I were like oil and water. From then, our goose was cooked, because Raiola had been able to ingratiate himself with Paul and his family, and the players signed with Juventus. This sort of atmosphere makes it hard to establish a close relationship with the player and massively complicates life for a manager. If I felt these people genuinely had the player's interests at heart, I might feel differently. Players don't understand that their lives would be better both financially and emotionally if they paid a lawyer on an hourly basis to help them with their contracts. Paul Scholes is represented by Grant Thornton, the accounting firm. He played them a simple fee and the job was done. For instance, Paul Scholes. You know, who? what better example could there be for young Pogba, who apparently will be on a, uh, wages of 290,000 a week. No, I know. His, his career has been run into the ground by... All he should have done is listen to the man who'd rather play Rafael de Silva in central midfield than Paul Pogba. If he'd only got... If he just Grant listened to Thornton, Alex Ferguson. He, he would have been in... Bat the Manchester, giant roadblock in the, he right been in the a, middle of his career. He would have been at Manchester United for all these crappy years as they disintegrated, <laughs> rather than going off to Juventus to win Serie A titles. He would, he would have pushed it up to surely 120 grand. But the really interesting thing about that is the uh, thing that's apparently a sticking point between Juventus and Manchester United is who's going to pay Mina Raiola's agent's fee? Well, who usually pays the agent's fee? Well, they, they might split it. Right. Juventus or Manchester United pay it. Yeah. £18.4 million. Pounds. That's it. It's quite a lot of money, it's isn't a good it? Day I can't work. believe an agent now gets £18 million. Pounds. You know, that's like 20, 20%, yeah. uh, 20% charge on the... Um, on the transfer fee, supposedly $92 million. Now, maybe that figure is out by a couple of million here there. Mm-hmm. But Mina Raiola is getting 20% of that transfer, a world record transfer. 20% is a large fee for now. They don't usually get 20, do they? Mr. 10%. He's able to ingratiate himself with the player okay. and his family. And who, you know, who knows what happens to the 20%, I don't know. And then, I'm, then you know, Paul Pogba, if he's getting 20, 290 grand a week, then Pogba's, or Raiola, I don't know if he throws Raiola a couple of... Mm. Chips. If he passes some chips back Probably across the table, back. you know what I mean. But uh, I wonder what Alex Ferguson makes of all that. I mean, eighteen point four million on one transfer deal. I mean, I'm sure Ferguson got eighteen point four million. You know, Over out of Manchester. His... All you have to do is work for twenty six <laughs> years. <laughs> twenty six years for it, like you know. The game's gone. Yeah. Big development today in the Russian state-sponsored doping scandal. The chances of the country being allowed to compete at all at the Olympics hangs by a thread. After the Court of Arbitration for Sport, they were ruling on Russia's track and field athletes. Essentially, the um, the Russians were uh, attempting to salvage, to save the places of their track and field athletics, athletes, I should say, uh, in Rio. But that fell upon deaf ears. It was a unanimous decision by the Court of Arbitration for Sport to keep that ban that was imposed by the IWF. So the track and field guys are not going to be allowed to compete as things stand, but they just won't be allowed to compete. The question now is, does the IOC follow suit and ban Russia from all sports? We'll talk to David Goldblatt, author of The Games, A Global History of the Olympics, very shortly. What a day for the Banner County on this podcast. So first of all, the Cliffs of Moher gets the Ken Early seal of approval. Of course. Uh, above Schlieve League there in Donegal. And if you happen to be a Clare man or woman, you should enjoy our chat with Peter O'Connell, the Clare champion. And one of your all-time great hurlers, Niall Gilligan. And a little while, loads going on here. The footballers are within a game of the quarterfinals, which would obviously be a phenomenal achievement for them. They play Roscommon on Saturday. The hurlers are in the quarterfinals against Galway on Sunday. David Fitzgerald's health issue this week is obviously 
Uh, pretty unfortunate backdrop to that, but we'll see what the latest is there. Podge Collins is another angle to all this. He's involved in both matches over the course of a weekend, which is almost unheard of these days at intercounty level in GA. Even at club level, I'd say, it would cause issues if a player is playing two big championship games on the same weekend. So Lord knows what they think of it in Clare. We'll find that out a little bit later on. But as I mentioned, a significant piece of news broke today in the controversy surrounding Russia's participation in the Olympics. David Goldblatt, it's always good to talk. How are things? Things are good in my world. A little trickier for the IOC, I would say. A little trickier with this news that uh, the Court of, Ar- Court of Arbitration for Sport has rejected the Russian appeal around their 68 track and field athletes. That's right, because it puts the ball very firmly into the court of the IOC over what to do about not merely Russian athletics, but the entire Russian sort of sports administration and the revelations, um, you know, of, uh, of, drug, um, of drug testing fixing over the last five years. Um, had the CAS um, accepted that, uh, that appeal, it would have changed everything for them. But now they have to make a decision themselves as to what they're going to do. Why do you think it's so big? I mean, you've, you've explained it a little bit there, but it seems that the IOC has been sort of hanging on and pushing things out a little bit. They've they have said that they want more time to consider the legal ramifications of what they're doing. A lot, a lot of people were suggesting that really what they were waiting for was this also, was this decision and to see which way the wind was blowing. Absolutely. I mean, it's so big because the IOC and its new president, Thomas Bach, have made clean athletes, clean athletics and the integrity of sport absolutely central to the Olympic mission. I mean, if you go back to Bach's document, Agenda 2020, which laid out the sort of future of the IOC under his uh, under his rule, um, clean athletics is an absolute priority. And let's face it, you know, the IOC's contribution to global sustainability, human rights and internationalism is looking pretty damn thin. So what else have you got left in the ideological bag? Maintaining the integrity of sport. And here we have simply the greatest and most publicly exposed systematic form of state doping um, that the athletics world has seen. Uh, And if this is not enough to get you banned, then really, what do you have to do? Start a thermonuclear war? Well, it seems like the IOC in previous years, you wrote a piece this week uh, setting this current controversy into historical context. It seems they've been very good over the years at fudging these sort of issues, at being cute, being a little bit sly and and, uh, uh, manoeuvring themselves around situations. I mean, I suppose you go back as far as the 1920 games, which were being held in Antwerp, for example, they they, they weren't even definitive as far back as 1920. I mean, of course, you don't survive as a global organisation in a fractured world without um, some sort of skill and adeptness for compromise. And I think that's not actually to be dismissed. It's important that as many people as possible do come to the Olympic Games. I mean, if it's uni- it's universal, you know, or it's nothing. Uh, and as you rightly say, you know, back in 1920, when it felt like uh, an inappropriate idea to invite the defeated central powers to what was, in effect, the centre of the killing fields of, um, of the Western Front during the First World War, the IOC, rather than disinviting um, Germany, Austria, Hungary, um, passed the buck effectively to the organisers of the Antwerp Olympics who very quietly just didn't issue invitations. So there are ways and means um, around this. How much room there is really, though, for fudge and compromise here is harder, is harder to see. I mean, I do think the IOC um, will tr- would like to put some of the decision-making uh, and responsibility in the hands of individuals sports federations so you know FIFA will decide whether um, Russian football is clean enough for their team to compete in uh, the Olympic Games for example Um, and I think they probably and I understand this would like to find a way for clean athletes caught up in this uh, situation um, not to be unfairly punished but um, for want of a better cliche, you know, you don't make omelettes without making uh, cracking eggs. And I think if we are to draw a line under this absolutely disgraceful, cataclysmically outrageous um, form of cheating by the Russian state and its security services, you know, we have to send out a message from global sport. All this just carries on and on and on. Um, what would be lost, though, David, by excluding Russia from the Games? 
lot of the greatest athletes in the world in many competitions. I mean, we know from, you know, the boycotts of uh, the late Cold War era, you end up getting pretty lopsided uh, competition when, you know, uh, one uh, one group or one major sporting power doesn't show. I think it's also, you know, it's also a danger uh, not to be presenting, you know, the world. That's the point of the Olympics. It's meant to be a universal celebration of a collective humanity. Um, and the Russians, you know, do and will make for very spiky and very sulky um, members of the international community. So there are all sorts of, you know, nothing is, is risk that, is, that not, is that not really more important than ever? Um, that the, even the, the idea of a unified world just as a symbol, I mean, you know, fraught with lies and, and deceit and doping as it may be. Um, the idea of the countries of the world coming together to, to do, you know, to, to take part in a common festival, you know, at a time when everything, when you look around the world, all you can see is, is fragmentation and, uh, and increasing kind of tension and in many cases violence. Um, maybe this is actually a more important, more important than ever. It overrides some concerns about doping, which, which to be fair, the Russians aren't the only ones doing. No, but they're the only ones who have been so systematically exposed and found that, um, you know, the organization uh, and the cover-up goes right to the top of the state. Uh, no one's quite in that situation, and that's what makes it so special. So, on the one hand, I absolutely take your point, and I sort of feel quite sort of conservative about the Olympics in the sense that, you know, for all its faults, when you've got something like this, you know, you you are, you have to be careful not to destroy it. It is easily, a thing that is easily broken uh, and pretty irreplaceable. However, you know, if, um, if kind of human universalism and unity sort of means anything other than we're all just going to kind of gather in the same place and, uh, and sort of, you know, close our eyes to other people's faults, I think it's also got to mean something about the rule of law. You know, if there is no rule of law, then what sort of collective humanity have we got anyway? Then that's the world of, you know, all against all. Um, and the Russians have so systematically abused the rule of law in so many ways on this situation that I think even at the risk of tarnishing the Olympics universalism, uh, a statement has to be made. What about the World Cup then, David? Because this is, I mean, in two years' time, the World Cup is happening in Russia, and Vitaly Mutko, uh, the top uh, sports politician in Russia, is at the head both of their Olympic movement and of their uh, football association and of their World Cup organizing committee. So it's the same. It's the same people. It is the same people, and we, we, from what we can see, the. Um, cheating regime in Russia has also extended on occasion to professional football players. Um, so, yeah, we have a real problem. And, what, 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 uh, would your opinion, what would your opinion be in that instance? I mean, it can, should FIFA, if, 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 if you believe that the IOC, um, you know, need to now say, OK, we're not going to have any Russians in Rio, do FIFA need to look at it and say, well... You know, can we really afford to give the um, give the World Cup, uh, which is our biggest event and the biggest event in in world football, to a sporting pariah state? Yep, I mean they are going to have to consider it. I mean their own sort of statutes, which require their hosts to be, um, you know, uh, up to date and uh, and complete and uh, complicit with um, WADA regulations, which apply to football as much as they do any other international sport. They are, it behooves them, you know, ethically, but also by their own sort of, you know, internal administration. They have to ask that question. I mean, I'm not absolutely going to prejudge it now, but I would say, you know, the case is getting weaker and weaker by the day for the Russians to hold on to it. You know, from what we can see, they got it under the most... Um, you know, questionable circumstances and, and the results of the um, Swiss uh, Attorney General's investigations into the uh, bidding rounds for the 2018 and 2022 World Cup are still to come. I mean, it's hard to remember the sort of scale and number of investigations that are going on, but that one is coming. Um, so I think FIFA, you know, um, I suspect after the Olympics, there's no point, you know, um, making a, a decision in haste but I think over the summer they are going to have to think about this. And if they think at the very least that wider regulations are not being enforced in the world of football in, uh, in Russia, then they're going to have to very seriously think about rescinding the invitation.
David, just back to the Olympics, uh, you mentioned that uh, as possible compromises, there is this idea that you allow each federation from, from every sport to separately decide whether or not the Russian athletes can go. There's also been this idea that if athletes can be proven to be clean, they go and they compete under a neutral flag. But this thing starts in two weeks. I mean, there's no time to do any of this stuff. This, that, that's all. That, to, to prove everyone's clean and or the ones going over are clean, to ask each federation to correctly go through a rigorous process of deciding, that's all the kind of thing that needs to have been well underway by now, I would have thought. So it looks to me like you either have to ban Russia or not. Yeah, no, I I'm, I agree with you. I think it, it would be to hand it over to these organisations, which are not the fastest moving at the best of times, and whose own record of dealing with these things is not necessarily very good, is just to pass the buck. The IOC, and above all, Thomas Bach, the president, because, you know, we talk about the IOC as if it's a kind of great collective body of people negotiating and debating this. But actually, there are a very small number of people on the executive board right at the top of the IOC um, in whose hands this decision lies, and above all, Thomas Bach. And I think they can't part, they shouldn't pass it on, I don't think you're going to get it. I mean, people complain about natural justice here. You ain't going to get any natural justice from this lot making a decision in a week. So I think the IOC needs to make the decision. And as I say, um, I think they need to issue a ban. And I, uh, I understand that for some athletes, this will be both unjust and a personal tragedy. Um, but I think we've reached the point in global sport where if we don't, there's just more and more of this to come. And then what's the point of the exercise? David Goldblatt, always great to talk. Thanks a million. My pleasure. Thank you. FIFA made a movie recently. Did they? John Delaney could run anything. They did, they did. About themselves? Yeah, about themselves. Oh, that's ego, isn't it? He could run FIFA. Certainly better than Sam Blatter. Yeah, that is, that's incredible ego. But the real movie's on its way. Yeah, I'm off to see the Queen tomorrow too. Don't forget that. No, no, don't forget that. In 2009, I called him an embarrassment to FIFA and an embarrassment to himself. And I, and I said it to him across the table, just like I'm talking to you, with one or two explosives. He said, no one speaks to me like that. And you said? And I said, well, I do. And that was it. With one or two explosives. And I just asked him to move on. It was an extraordinary moment. She, she was here, she tell you, just stared at her for seven or eight seconds. And I said, move on now, please. And then he moved when I went in and told them how I felt about him, yeah. and there was some expletive views, we came to an agreement. It's a very good agreement, definitely. And you've used the figure there. Well done to you. I have a feeling, you know, that the World Cup could be a more difficult proposition than the Olympics. I'm, I'm not saying it's a done deal that the IOC are just going to ban Russia and, it, and it's done, but it does seem like the decision today by the Court of Arbitration for Sport eases the pressure greatly on the IOC. Uh, well, actually increases the pressure greatly, depends which way you look at it, but essentially puts them into a corner where really they're, they're gonna, you would think they have to ban the, uh, the Russian athletes now. But as regards the World Cup, that's Russia's now. That's been given to Russia. Mm-hmm. That They feel they own it. I mean, contractually, I'm not sure how necessarily it all works, but they have the full weight of, <laughs> the not inconsiderable weight of the Russian government behind that project now. And, from from that point of view, it would seem to me that Russia will would. It's almost like they can just dare FIFA come and take it off us. I mean, this is ours now. Is that not actually more difficult to do than what what the IOC are in just position banning, one, can, banning one contingent of athletes from one country? Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, I, 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 it it is it is a bigger deal, um, but it arises because no, I'm not I'm not saying they should it shouldn't be done, but I'm just saying is is it potentially more more fraught with danger it's 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 difficult illegal legally difficult yeah. i mean russia obviously will have invested um in infrastructure for the world cup uh, if they were to turn around and say it's not going to happen now mm-hmm. um <laughs> that would be a that would be a big thing to that would be a really big thing to say although i do wonder then um if uh maybe the onus would would almost be on other countries to say that they weren't going to compete in it oh yeah they feel if they feel very strongly about it, and I wonder then if that would be a better way of of seeing how strongly people really feel about that. Mm. You know, if you were, if you were prepared to say I'm not going to go and participate, you're, in talking some, about go- you're talking about governments here, though, as opposed to sporting go- organizations. Sporting organizations, you know, I mean, if they're if if they're serious about uh, the commitment to anti doping, um, uh, if they if they're serious about commitment to anti doping, then. 
if you know if the World Cup is going to be at the center of what you know as David was saying has been exposed to be you know this uh, <laughs> this just massive state sponsored doping. I mean, okay, the Russian team, the Russian football team in Euro twenty sixteen looked tired. <laughs> they certainly looked drug free. <laughs> they did, um, but you know. I mean the, the consequences of it. I'm not even. I'm not even totally sure. I don't. I, actually, I don't think that the Russian athletes should be banned from the Olympics. No. Why not? Well, I just, I, I just, I think, just, I, I just don't know why necessarily. I mean, uh, it's a, it's a difficult one. It's a really, it's a really difficult one. I think that the that everybody being at the Olympics is very important. Um, for the for the Olympics to to really mean it, yeah. But as as David Goldblatt said, that's fine. But what's the point of it? If okay, it's inclusive, sure, because everyone's there. But if everyone's there, including Russia, who by all you know legal and sporting rights probably shouldn't be there, then what's the point of having the event at all? Yeah, they should they shouldn't be. But like, I mean, it's it's a bit like um, you know, Yelena Zimbayeva, um, the Russian pole vaulter. Who is completely dominant in uh, that event? Look, well, she's won the Olympics twice, uh, and she tweets, um, you know, with a bunch of unhappy emoji faces, and then says, "Let all these clean, sarcastically foreign athletes exhale with relief and win their pseudo gold medals in our absence," uh, and then a load of little sad faces. Now, I'd say that's a fairly standard response in Russia. Mm. As in, here we are again, once again, being persecuted by the international community. Uh, once again, we are the victims. Everybody else is doing this. Um, we're, we're the ones that get singled out. This is, a little, this is a lot of nonsense. I mean, it would be that times a million, obviously, with the, with the World Cup. But, you know, I mean, I was watching, I've been watching a lot of the American news recently because I was watching the, following their insane um, mm. and depressing uh, Republican convention. And they give this story a lot of coverage. You know, they kind of, they cover it like, I don't want to say necessarily with glee, but I was thinking if you were a Russian watching this, it's like Russia being thrown out of, you know, being thrown out of sport. It, it's, it was even slightly irritating to me to see it, <laughs> you know, the way that they were, you know. Glorying in it a little bit. Dancing on the grave a little bit, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking. America's come not on. exactly, yeah, Mar- yeah. Like Marion Jones, Spotless. you know, that's not, that's not too long ago. I mean, who else? Like, Fourth in the medals table. Your entire, your domestic sports are, are, are riddled with yeah. drug, you know, it's not even a big deal. You don't even think it's a big deal. An NFL player, what do they get? Two, is it two, four, six match bans or four? four no, I think, four, it's a, six, I, think it's four, I think it's a four week ban, yeah. So, like, and, the, and, and this, you know, our Russia is being thrown out. I was kind of like, well, how, I, I, I it's really, it's a, it's a difficult uh, well, I can definitely see thing the, to get your I head around. Right. I can certainly see it from the clean Russian athlete's point of view. Uh, that's, yeah, I that, mean, that, that, that's doubtless, that's, that's Thankfully, we're not talking about bad. too many people, but, you know, I yeah. mean, you do, feel, you do feel sorry for those, those people. Thankfully, there's not too many of them in that particular boat. Tough you know. times, tough times at the Olympics, but forget about Russia, forget about golf in Rio and the hammering it's taken in the last couple of weeks as a new kid in town for Tokyo 2020. Jousting. Oh, yes, I saw a headline. Well, I just saw a headline. Oh, I was concerned you might have brought this up in my absence. No. So English Heritage has launched a campaign to get jousting recognised as an Olympic sport for Tokyo 2020. You're laughing, Ken. We are being deadly serious, said Lucy Hutchings, English Heritage's head of projects. It's an incredible spectator sport, a really fascinating thing to watch. The skill of the knight and the horses make it a great thing to witness. We absolutely believe it deserves its place at the Olympic table. If skateboarding can be included in 2020, then jousting has a good chance. So, how many What's countries the- are going to have athletes uh, entering? I mean, I can think of Great Britain. Yeah. First question I had was wardrobe related. Oh, yeah? Do they have to wear the full... Oh, they're in the full... Well, every photograph in this is in the full suit of armour. That's, that's jousting. Medieval plate armour. Well, I do like that now. I mean, that might does well sound be, good to yeah. me. Um, yeah, I, I think that's... I think it's an excellent idea. Who's, yes, who's put, we're all in agreement. Who's, who's put out this press release? Own English Heritage. English Heritage. Oh, English They're Heritage. in charge of all of it. And does it contain? Does the article contain any information about English Heritage things that you can do and see? Tickets that you can buy for events they're holding? Is there anything like I that attached that. to no, the news story? To be, no, it just seemed to be all about jousting. They're, they're probably the lads who roll that cheese down a hill. <laughs> <laughs> in, if there's anything the Olympic needs, it's more. It's more. Um, 
medieval sports from a yeah. tiny area you of Europe, you know, which you need a horse to be able to play. <laughs> you know who the early favourite is, though? Uh, what? The Mountain from Game of Thrones. Oh, well, I mean, he's going to be virtually unstoppable. Well, I mean, he, he's obviously quite cynical in his, uh, his behaviour on the, you know... Um, you think see, you was think that was an accident? You think that was an accident? The way the lance uh, went in under the young man's gorget, the gorget wasn't fastened properly. You think Sir Gregor didn't notice that? <laughs> Whatever it takes to win, Ken. We <laughs> see that in modern sport. Big weekend for Clare GAA footballers can make it to the last eight in the count, in the country, I should say, if they can take care of us. Common on Saturday in the Hurlers Square against Galway in the All Ireland quarterfinal on Sunday. But the build-up has been dominated by David Fitzgerald's. Health scare this week. The county's all-time top scorer, Niall Gilligan, is ready to go, as is the Clare champions, Peter O'Connell. Peter, maybe just give us the latest on Davy and whether or not he'll be able to take his place in the sideline on Sunday. I mean, more importantly, what, what the health situation is. Is there any more detail on what the issue has been this week? Yeah, uh, the, the latest I've heard um, is that um, it's maybe um, a minor heart issue. Davy has had a stints uh, put in place back in 2009, and uh, I think it's some kind of reoccurrence um, in relation to that, but um, again, from what I've heard, it's thankfully not not too serious, and it's very likely that he will be definitely involved on Sunday. Um, and knowing Davy, if he's going to be involved, he's going to be on the line. Um, of course, I mean, naturally enough, a lot of people are thinking, well, would he be better off to stay away from this one, or, or at the very least, maybe to stay in the stand? But I'd say trying to keep Davy you now away from the sideline at about ten to four on Sunday afternoon in Thurles is going to be. A very, a very difficult job, but um, you know, thankfully, it seems that it's not that serious. But of course, you would be a bit concerned at the same time. Niall Gilligan, what do you think? It sounds like, um, well, it sounds like Davy won't be kept away from the sideline this weekend. Yeah, well, look, I suppose we, look, we, we don't know that, and I suppose you know, I suppose he'll have to take the advice of, 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 of doctors and that up there. But as Peter is correct in saying, if if if, if David is if David's feeling feeling anywhere above fifty percent right, he'll be he'll be in Tullus, um on, on on Sunday. What about his team, Niall? Uh, it seems you know, there's so much optimism, I guess, around the place it, after the league. Uh, but both with Clare and Waterford coming up as they were, that there was going to maybe be a bit of a changing of the guard there. I mean, that's been put to rest. Obviously, uh, Clare had their disappointment, and Waterford took the pacing at the hands of Tip. Are you concerned that that all that all that optimism has completely vanished now, or is that being a bit? Uh, am I being a bit extreme there? I, I think the optimism. I suppose I, I think people, Clare people, supporters don't really know what to think now, and and I think you know. We're travelling to Torles on Sunday, maybe more, more in hope that we we get a good performance and that and that the bandwagon gets gets back on the road properly. And I think clear people feel that if they could get a performance on on Sunday and, and get over this hurdle, that you know that that the team could explode into life when 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 they get to Crow Park. But you know, having said that, I suppose you know there are question marks about Galway too. Um, you know, the Jerlock Nan issue, and you know. You know, are they going to come out and try and just um, put in a performance to to silence the critics, or are they going to do this for themselves? And I think if 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 they do the former, you know, it adds too much pressure to them, and 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 they could be in trouble. But if they do the latter and just try and focus on themselves, you know, um, you know, they could put in a performance. So it, it, it's going to make for a very interesting game. Uh, Peter, is the inability to finish Limerick off the last day? I mean, you know, it's it's not just the last day. This has been it's indicative of the kind of lack of ruthlessness that this clear team has shown in games over the last couple of years, leaving teams in games that really they've no business being left in. That's it, Kieran. I mean, really, the last day they should have put Limerick away a lot a lot easier. And you know, Limerick, even though they didn't really play to anywhere close to the level that they needed were still involved in the game going into the last, well, definitely last 10 minutes. And I think that's something that Clare definitely need to look at. Um, I suppose there's all kinds of connotations as, as regards Clare, uh, even um, on, on, on the puck out. You know, they tend to go short to either Keane Dillon, um, Pat O'Connor, and then they tend to try to find a runner with a diagonal ball. It's going to be very interesting to see how Galway will contract that. Will Galway 
you know, push up on Keane Dillon. I know it's a bit of a, a football phrase, bring it into the hurling, but will they push up on, on Keane Dillon, uh, maybe even on Pat O'Connor and force Clare to go along? Because, you know, Clare don't have too many big men around the middle. Okay, if John Conlon is in the half-forward line, you'd probably be looking to hit him. But uh, there's not too many of the other, of the remaining Clare lads that should be hitting with, you know, with with long puck outs like David Reedy, um, excellent on the, bo- on the ball, great runner, the same with Podge Collins, uh, Colm Galvin, similar type of player. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how how Galway set up tactically. But there's no there's no doubt about it. Look, if if Clare really get going and and kind of I suppose um, get that support game um, up and running, I think they could produce a really big performance. But Galway are going to know everything about Clare. They're going to know where they're strong. They're going to you know they're, presumably they're going to have a plan to counteract that. And look, you you alluded earlier on that Gilly was talking about it. Presumably, Galway will be hugely motivated, and I, I know playing an All Ireland quarter final that's sufficient motivation in itself. But you know, given what Derlock Nan said, I mean, he referred to this group of players as as gutless, and as you as we know in the GA, um, you're always looking for a cause, whether it's at club level or county level. And I think Galway have that cause, um, and it'll be it's going to be fascinating to see. Will we see um, a real edge to Galway on on Sunday? Niall, one person who's going to be uh, one player who'll be important to the Clare effort is Podge Collins. As always, he'll also be important to the footballers' efforts. So the day before, which is um, you know this dynamic that barely exists anywhere else with any other player at, at this level of intercounty competition anymore. Podge has the footballers to come on Saturday. What would the reaction of hurting people be if if Collins ends up playing the entire game on Saturday, which is a distinct possibility? Do you think? Yeah, look, I suppose on lay my own cards on the table here. I wouldn't have, I would have very little interest in football, you know, and and I'd wish to clear football as best to look and and, and hope they 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 get to an All Ireland quarter final. But if I was on the hurling management side of it, you know, I wouldn't be happy, and I couldn't, I can't see how if 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 Podge has to play seventy minutes of of. Uh, of an intense championship game in, in, in Salt Hill on Saturday, how it can help the hurlers. Okay, maybe if they win and he comes in in a high, you know, it, it may help his performance. And I'd say, you know, Sherlock Nan, I suppose, going back to McGinn, had criticism of Podge a couple of years back, um, trying to, to juggle the two codes. And I'd say Podge would be very determined himself to 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 really show people that this can be done, but you know it's 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 some testimony to the man if 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 he can put in if he can play seventy minutes on Saturday and put in a, a, a top class performance again again Galway or, or even a, a seven out of ten a, a, you know solid performance on Sunday. Look, and, and it's a huge dilemma for Podge. His father is 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 is, is manager of the column manager of the, of the football team, and he's done a fantastic job. But but. I suppose you know football. Football goes through their, their, their blood as well, you know, and 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 they're really interested in it. But I suppose from a hurler's point of view, you know, I can't see how how it would help the hurlers. Peter, you know, whether, whether they have a different opinion than that to me, but but that's that, that's definitely my take on it anyway. Yeah, it didn't seem to. Uh, he played both codes the same weekend a uh, couple of weekends ago, but that time it was the hurlers first. And it, there wasn't as much of a deal made, or it didn't seem like there was when he went out to play for the footballers. Is that because, from your point of view as a hurling man, it, you didn't? It doesn't matter so much if he's playing the football the following day, as long as he can give everything to the hurlers. Well, no, I suppose there's two things. One is 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 that a couple of weeks back, I'd say a lot of Clare supporters uh, didn't think this Clare footballers, the Clare footballers, would go on this kind of a journey. That's one, and like the other is now, like we're getting into really high stakes into the championship. The Clare hurlers are, are, are you know. Uh, trying to get into the last four um, and the Clare footballers into the last eight so you know it, it's real serious business now and you know the difference the difference between winning and losing now the, are, are the real fine margins the 1% 2% you know with maybe 10 minutes to go in 70 minutes can you keep going and like as I say unless the game has changed and these guys um, have gone to new fitness levels from when I'm playing. Like if I played 70 minutes of a of a of a of a championship uh, hurling game, I don't know what football is like. But um, God, I would I would find it hard to, to to get off the couch next day and 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 go at it again for another 70 minutes. What about all that, Peter? Is uh, is Podge Collins just taking too much on this weekend? Um, I think the the only person in Clare uh, remotely capable of 
attempting what Pod is going to try this weekend is Pod. I mean, Pod, I suppose what a lot of people don't realise is that Pod is as much a football man as he is a hurling man. Pod has played football for Clare from under 14, inclusive of every age group. And he's been equally committed. He played for the Clare Miners for two years, footballers, the Clare 21s for three years. Um, he doesn't consider himself a hurling man as such, you know, if you were to use that phrase, he can considers himself a um, a GAA player, whether that be hurling or football. Um, I suppose the thing about Podge is, I mean, he, he only played 29 minutes last week against Sligo. He got a black card. It was his second uh, black card um, in championship this year. So he didn't play the full game. Um, the player who came on instead of him, Keelan Sexton, played outstandingly well. Um, he's actually a leaving start. He's just completed a leaving start, scores three points from play. So I think it's very likely that Keelan Sexton will start. And it's, you know, Podge may not may not actually start and it wouldn't have anything to do with the fact that he's playing hurling the following day, following day you know. So it's not definite that Podge will start. But if he does, he's just going to go out there and, and, and give it everything. I mean, at the back of your mind, you would be a bit concerned. I mean, he's come back from nine months out with the Cruciate. You'd be a bit concerned about that, but to be fair, he's shown absolutely no sign of any ill effects at all. Um, and I can understand, you know, look, there's a lot of people in Clare, uh, Clare Hurling supporters that just cannot understand why he's playing football. We have to be frank about that. But, you know, Podge, his father is managing the team. As I said, he's he's given his life to football as much as hurling. So, I mean, that's Podge and he's just going to, as long as he's got the county jersey on, whether it's for the hurlers or the footballers, he'll give it his best. What's your prediction on both games, Peter? Uh, I think the footballers have a really, really good chance. Um, I think over the last 15 years, um, beaten Connick finalists have only won uh, three subsequent qualifiers. Um, I was talking to Lee McHale earlier in the week, sounded very downbeat. He knows a lot about Clare as well. He was Clare coach for three years. Uh, he thinks they've got a massive job to turn it around um, yeah, Carl psychologically. Manion, yeah, Carl Manion was saying the same thing in here on Monday. He didn't feel that Roscommon would necessarily be able to turn mm-hmm. it around. I mean, the only thing is, if you're, you know, Roscommon are still, we've got to say, are obviously still a Division 1 team. They had they had some very good results. I know they've fallen away subsequently. Clare have only beaten Leash, not taken away from Leash, but they were relegated uh, down to Division 3. Sligo are a Division 3 team. And in the months of championship, Clare beat Limerick, who were relegated to Division 4. So Sligo, or sorry, Roscommon are definitely going to be a step up. And, you know, I think if there's a sliver of hope for Roscommon, they're not going to be afraid of Clare. They're going to say, listen, you know, we're a Division 1 team here. We, we, we've we had some good results, albeit earlier in the season. Who have Clare really beaten up to now? Um, you know, Clare were well beaten by Kerry. Okay, they scored 17 points, but that game was over after five or six minutes. They conceded two goals in the first five minutes. But uh, I, I think there's a huge performance in, in these footballers. Uh, the one thing I would say about the footballers is they haven't actually maximised yet what they're capable of doing. You know, there's more... In David Turberty, there's more in Jamie Malone, uh, who's had an outstanding season but was fairly quiet last weekend against Sligo. As for the hurlers, um, I think it's going to be a tough one. Um, even though they've only lost one game this year, it's it's incredible that there's kind of a lack of belief about the Clare hurlers in, in amongst Clare hurling people, despite the fact they've lost just one game and won the National League for the first time since 1978. It's 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 almost incredible. Um, I think it's going to be tough. But um, I think they probably will scrape through. Well, Niall, I won't ask you for a prediction on the football because, as you're saying, it's not it's not your bag. But what about the Galway game? Uh, as you were saying, it's hard. It's kind of hard to know what to expect from Clare now. But are, are you are you merely hopeful, or would you be expecting yeah, well, that they can win? For me, if but to call this game, you know, the, the biggest influence I would see that in, on, on the term of this game, like, is is the fitness of of Conor McGrath and. Um, and and how he is, he missed the the Limerick game the last day. And, you know, I think he's having trouble with his hip. Um, but he he's done a light, very light training. Um, I think you know early this week and how he will be for the weekend. He is a huge, huge player for player, and you know could be mean the difference between you know when the game is re- championship game is really on and, and really in the melting pot, and he's done it. You know. Um, so many times for Clare over the last number of years and you know so if he's playing I think Clare will win if he's not I think Clare will struggle and you know I, I, I think without him Clare could find it hard but you know early on in the week you know I think the bookies were making Galway um, 
kind of rank outsiders, so to speak. But I think as the week has gone on, you know, a lot of people are feeling that this game is is is, is 50-50. So you know, it is a very very difficult one to call it. If Conor McGrath is okay, I I, I think they will edge it. Okay, listen, Niall Gilligan, Peter O'Connell, thanks very much for talking to us. Okay, let's. Right, let's. Andrew, that's the question. That's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight, tonight, into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight, their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. No, I think Cork have made a massive boo-boo with our matchups. Massive boo-boo. Great stuff from Niall Gilgan and Peter O'Connell there. Slightly differing views on Podge Collins. We're hoping to catch up with Podge next week after his hectic weekend. He, Ken, you, I, I heard you on Monday sniffing at the notion that a six-day turnaround is just, just too difficult for inter-county players these days. To You, you can't come, possibly come back from one game and play again mm. six days later. Well, what... Turnaround does Podge have? 23 and a half hours from final whistle in Salt Hill to uh, throw in in third. So, so if, the fo- if the footballers were to lose on Saturday, he would have to, yeah, he'd have less than a day to... Re- that game goes to extra time as well, by the way. Oh, right, okay. So he could play 70 minutes. Well, he mightn't even start, actually, as we heard in the yeah. football, but he might play 70 minutes. He might play 90, 90 minutes. minutes. That is a challenge. That is a bit of a challenge. You're willing, to, you're willing to accept that much. I think, yeah... Yeah, I mean it's it is it's weird. I mean he did he, as as you said in the piece, he did do it whatever it was two weeks ago, but it's, it, it's a totally different thing. That as far as clear people are concerned, he can empty the, empty the tank for the hurlers and whatever he can recharge, whatever amount of his batteries he can recharge in the twenty four hours it takes from the lineup to the footballers, you know that's grand. But uh, it's a horse of a different colour as Niall was saying we're there. not actually we're not talking about Kilkenny here though I mean we're talking about a, a serious football team a, a, a county that does have fo- you know a good football um, identity as well it's not yeah. as though they've got this a- football as an afterthought it is to the hurling people yeah. but in general you know, it's a lot stronger than some, than some hurling only counties yeah exactly and I think that uh, say even three or four years ago the clear footballers might not have been you know a wagon that you'd be hitching your start at but uh, they're a Division 2 team. You know, they won the Division 3 final with a brilliant comeback to beat Kildare, who are, you know, you know, Kildare are a serious football county. Kildare beat them in Crow Park in a big, big game that Kildare desperately wanted to win three or four months ago. Uh, and they're going places. They're in Division 2. You know, like the, uh, the college champions and the Ulster champions this year started life in Division 2. So, I mean, yeah. they're, to be honest, they're a championship, as it stands, they're in the last 12 in the football in the football championship and going by their league form they're in the top 16 so I mean it's not even like it's a, a massive overachievement if you're looking at it that way to have them where they are so um, yeah it's it's the Clare Hurling people Niall Gilligan of, of you know of whom Niall Gilligan mm-hmm. is one may still think of Clare like that but the Clare footballers need to be serious about where they are as well I mean they have the potential to go in, go in Division 2 and win a couple of games and this should be their level now. This is the level they should be aiming to. I mean, if they get to an All-Ireland quarterfinal, that's a massive achievement. If they play in Crow Park this year, that is a huge, huge achievement. But round three, round four of the qualifiers, that's where Clare should be hoping to be winning games. Ken, big night last night for Dundalk in the Champions League. Yeah, Dundalk got through against Hafner Fjord and Iceland. Um, give, it, give it to us again. Sorry, what was that, Ken? Sorry, I, No, you nailed it. Hafner Fjord. <laughs> that is good. That's like he, well, that's exactly what he said the first time. So his ability to repeat his mistake from the Hoffner first time. Fjordish. I've heard a lot of people on, ra- on radio bulletins over the last 24 hours. And I know it myself, Murph, having uh, read Many's a Bulletin on mm. Radio Many's a Sports Bulletin. You know when you're not that confident with the pronunciation. I mean, you get it out there, it's done, you move on. The prawn in a murky deal. <laughs> in your head. You're not really, you really haven't got a clue if you've gotten it right or not. But no, I think Ken's made a good stab at it. Hafner Fjordish, mm-hmm. two, Dundalk, two. Uh, meaning three, three on aggregate. And Dundalk going to the uh, third uh, qualifying round of the Champions League on away goals, uh, where they play Bate Borisov. Bate Borisov, a team who I've seen in European competition in Ireland in 2003 at Daly Mount Park being slaughtered 3-0 by Bohemians. Uh, however, Bate Borisov have kind of kicked on since then uh, and would be expected, I think, to win. Although you never know... Uh, Anything can happen, Owen. It's a funny old game. Um, Dundalk over have made 1.2 million euros in prize money just from 
from um, winning in Iceland, drawing in Iceland, having a few others. And so... <laughs> You've showing off now. <laughs> they do that, in, you know, they have the or at the end. Yeah, yeah. They kind of do it. And it's, you, you, we do it in Irish as well. We do it in Irish. Hmm. You know, you, obviously, yeah, you know Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, so 1.2 million is a lot of money. going to make a big difference for Dundalk. There's actually people suggesting I think, that maybe they should share it out. Share the wealth. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that really has to be or, uh, agreed in advance. Yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, I think your bargaining position after they've you know, earned that money. Give us some of that their uh, Champions yeah. League money. Well, maybe they will. You know, I mean, if they, it, it, probably some kind of FIFA award, sportsmanship award if they, if they mm. were to do it. Um, but if, even if they get beaten by Bate Barsov, They'll go into the Europa League, uh, which will be the last round. Basically, if they beat Bata Barsov, then they still have to play another uh, qualifier, another knock uh, playoff to get into the actual Champions League group stage. Um, so it's still a, a little bit away that that stage. But if they if they were to lose to Bata Barsov, then they do at least get a chance to play to get into the Europa League uh, group stage, which would itself be pretty uh, pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the two goals, to... incidentally, by David McMillan. Um, first one on was um, a long shot, cracked in off the bottom of the post oh I love the bottom of the crossbar bottom of the post oh okay base of the post yeah and the second one was not unlike Robbie Keane's goal in Paris in 2009 oh yeah the ball down the left side cunning cut back decisive finish uh, total Irish football thanks guys thanks Ken thanks, thanks a lot thanks, thanks, thanks Ken Nice thanks, Murph. thanks, Simon. No football podcast today. The Thursday football pod is taking a short summer break, but Monday's football pod just refuses. It just never takes a holiday. We've reasoned with it. We've told it there's not much football on. Maybe now is the time to switch off and recharge <laughs> I was, the batteries. I was thinking today, I was looking at all this news happening. I was like, oh my God. Oh, I wish we were doing Thursday instead of Monday. But Monday's I mean, We were podcast. talking on Monday. <laughs> you know, it was, it looks as though things are um, starting to roll now with, you know, I mean, we didn't even mention, you know... Save it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Monday's podcast, Ken, says, no, no, no. My listeners simply cannot go a full week without their appetite for football (laughs) being sated. So I'll be here on Monday regardless. We then asked it why it, as a podcast, was speaking as though it was a human being. At that point, the analogy broke down. Told us to shut up. This show came to a natural conclusion. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, does.